for every good and perfect gift. We thank you for the trials. We thank you for the pain. We thank you for all the good times, the love. We thank you for our mothers this morning, God. Because we know without them we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for mothers that just prayed for us, Lord. Grandmothers and aunts and cousins that prayed for us, Lord, we wouldn't be here. We just thank you, Lord, that you have decided that the, the vessel that would bring forth life would be that of a woman because the woman has shown us love. The tenderness and the kindness and the unconditional love, even when we didn't deserve it, you have demonstrated to us on earth what it means to have unconditional love. We thank you and praise you this morning. We lift up those who, who don't have mothers anymore, the ones who have lost them 30 years ago and the ones that have lost them this year. We understand that it is never going to be the same. There will never be a place in their heart closed that they will always miss mama. So we ask that you send your Holy Spirit to be with them and comfort them. Let the remembrance of mama and the lessons that she taught them wash over them. Give them the peace this morning. We know there are some that can't even function because they're just with, wrought with distress this morning. And Mother's Day is just the day they can't function because Mama is no longer here. Give them peace. And, and while you're giving them peace, give the, the peace to those who don't have a relationship with their mothers. That for whatever reason, the wedge that is driven between mother and child is, is healed. That they, they realize time is short. Mama won't always be here. And we can't take it for granted that tomorrow, next month, or next year, we'll, we'll work this thing out. Let us work it out today, God. Heal that rift in the families. And God, we thank you this morning for the lies. We thank you for Brother Jesse that he emerged from the hospital room whole. Maybe feeling some pain right now, some tenderness from what he had gone through, but he is here today, God, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit was in that operating room, God. We thank you that you were with the surgeons and the nurses and all the equipment that when he came out, he was awake. And he is here in your house of worship this morning. Moving slowly, but he's moving, God, and we thank you and praise you for that. We thank you this morning for the lives of the mothers that are here this morning. We thank you for those who made it their way to church this morning, and we pray, God, that you will be with those who didn't make it. For whatever reason, whether they just couldn't make it, whether they're sick, we ask that you heal them right now in Jesus' name. And so as we move forward in this service, God, we ask that you remember the children who were killed in that tragic shooting. The families that were now going to be distraught. The children who survived and now have to live with that painful memory. Have those mothers pray. Let every mother pray for those children and the families. Give them the grace and mercy. Now as we move forward, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, are my rock and my Redeemer, and it's in Jesus Christ's name that I do pray and believe. Amen. Amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day once again uh, to all the mothers in the house, and a special shout-out uh, to my wife, who today is her actual birthday, the big birthday. Happy birthday, baby. Uh, our anniversary was actually Friday, and our birthday is today. And so uh, I just want to say happy birthday to the love of my life. I am not the man that I am without you by my side. And I thank God continually 
that you are my wife. Uh, okay, without taking, you know, making this a mush session between me and my wife. <laughs> Let us get on with the words. So remember, happy Mother's Day again. And uh, as you see the scripture on the bottom of that, Proverbs 31, she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Mothers are indeed a special breed, a special uh, creation of our Father, our Heavenly Father. And, and this, what we're going to talk about today uh, is applicable to men as well. Uh, we're going to talk about specifically mothers and their prayer and the power of a praying woman, but we can all learn, even though we may not be mothers, and even if you are a mother or you pass the mother stage and grandmother or aunts or whoever the case may be, we can learn something. And we go to the Old Testament book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're really going to deal with the entire chapter, uh, but we're going to focus right now on verses 8 through 11. And the word reads as follows. The Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the infliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And so this morning we're going to use for a theme the power of a praying mother. The power of a praying mother. I don't know who came up with the idea of Mother's Day. Uh, I just know I was born into a world that, uh, what is it, the second Sunday in May, is allocated and designated to be the day that we honor mothers. Uh, there are people who I've come across in my lifetime that have said that we should honor our mothers every day. But we know that this day is the day that somewhere, someplace, at some time, somebody said this will be the day every year that we will acknowledge mothers. And there's something special about mothers who pray. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, I could look back over my life and and, and know that whether it was a mother or a grandmother, and, and I look at my paternal and my maternal grandmothers, both of them prayed. And, and we know that a lot, well, not of we, but some of us understand that we wouldn't be in the place that we're in had it not been for the prayers of mother. Uh, they, there's an old, not an old, old song, but the song we used to sing, somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. So I know that there were times in my life where I was not behaved. I'll just say that. <laughs> that probably mom wanted to wring my neck, but instead of wringing my neck, she prayed. And maybe that prayer was not to wring my neck, but there was some prayer for me that I would change from the behavior that was being displayed. 
And, and prayer is a powerful tool. We talk about it, about prayer being a powerful tool, but there, and we know it is because for some of us, we have seen how prayer has moved in the lives of the people that we have prayed for. And, we, uh, and people will ask, well, why should we pray? And so when we talk about prayer, why should we be in prayer? Because one, prayer is our greatest offensive weapon in pushing the enemy back in the lives of our children. We are living in a time where our children are literally under attack. We have seen school shootings just go through the roof. And keep in mind, I'm, I'm a gun advocate. And I, so, you know, but still, I do not like seeing children being shot in school. I don't like to see children being shot, period, but let alone in a place where they are supposed to be learning. Just like people in their houses of worship being slaughtered when they are praying to their God. That, that doesn't sit well with me. So prayer is our greatest offensive weapon in pushing the enemy back in the lives of our children. Two, when we pray, we can see where the enemy is attacking or may attack and partner with God to push him back. And then when we get down in prayer and we start communing with God, and we talked about this several weeks ago, that when we commune with God and pray that he opens up our wisdom, our eyes, that we can get the wisdom of discernment to see what is happening with our children. What is actually going on? And we can pray, pray strategic prayers with God to specifically identify what's going on and attack that. The third thing, prayer releases God to fight for our children and our family. Too many of our parents these days are not praying for our children and we're not leaving it to God. We're taking it in our own hands to fight these battles and they're losing battles. But God will fight for our children and when we pray to him, we are unleashing his entire army to surround our children, to keep them protected, to fight for them. And the last thing is that the work of prayer that we understand is that it happens in the unseen hours and the moments of our days, but we don't see the fruit in some cases because it doesn't come overnight. Uh, and some of the reasons we don't see it or why we will abandon it is because we don't see it, that we have this mentality that if I pray, it's supposed to happen now. But everything God has told us from the beginning of the Bible to the end, he talks about seasons. There is a time to sow and a time to reap. Yes. That it doesn't happen today. When you plant seeds today, this plant doesn't produce the fruit tomorrow. It takes months for that seed to grow and germinate to produce something that will actually bring forth fruit. And it is the same thing with prayer. Some plants can grow within a month and some plants take years. Some prayers will be answered within a week and some prayers will take years. Potentially decades. But we have to keep praying. Uh, we have to pray through the sleepless nights, wondering if our kids are going to make it home, uh, wondering what's going to happen to them out in the streets. Uh, we have to pray through the anguish when we're, we're wondering and worried with their behavior and the people they're hanging out with, through the pain of the disappointment that when our kids have done things that we know we raised them better than that. The disgust at the actions they take. I know I've been there, even with my own children. What were you thinking about? I've heard the discussion with my friends and what had happened with their parents and the tears that we shed when they do something and we see the consequences of their action. Or sometimes the tears of just frustration of, I've been preaching and teaching to you. Why haven't you been listening? Why haven't you followed the example that I've set for you? 
One of the things that we've learned from the, the book, of, uh, the book, the good book, the Bible, is that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the Ephesians church at Ephesus, chapter 6, 12 through 13, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The sleepless nights, the anguish, the pain, the tears, the disgust, Paul, uh, Paul is telling us and reminding us, this is not just them acting out. This is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle that has to be fought with spiritual weaponry, which is prayer. He says in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. I highlighted that word in. Two letter word. In this entire. Verse of 13. But as it is used there. It is describing. How did they say it in the dictionary. There's a preposition. Of talking about qualifying. The length of time. That you will be able to withstand. In the evil day. And when you read that in the context. It is basically saying. The past, present, and the future. There is no limit to the evil that is coming. And because there is no limit, and he reminds you, do not, we don't wrestle against this flesh and blood. It is not a fist-to-fist -fist thing. It is not man-to-man, woman-to-woman. It is against evil, dark powers in the heavenly places, spiritual hosts of wickedness. But when you take up the whole armor of God, when you pray, you'll be able to withstand everything that has happened, everything that is happening, and everything that will happen in the lives of your children. When we look at the school shooting in Colorado this week, it is a, a sad reminder of how much we need our mothers to pray. We haven't learned the lesson from Columbine that happened I don't even know how many years ago. Since that time, how many school shootings have happened and mothers are not praying. We got more people concerned with principals setting up a, a, a dress code for parents to come pick up their kids at school. We'll fight that battle to say that I want to come to school in flip-flops and a bonnet in my hair, but I'm not praying for the safety of my children. The school principal just wants to set up an example, a promise that when you come into this school, when you are picking up your children, you represent your children in a way. Show them you don't just walk out the house with pajamas and a bonnet in your hair. You show them that you dress professionally in a professional environment. But we're ready to fight this battle that our right to come into work with ro ro rollers and a bonnet on our head, but ain't nobody praying. When he said, take up the whole armor of God and you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The distraction. Uh, uh, the school shooting that happened, uh, one of the uh, article I read, it said uh, uh, the parents, uh, an anonymous letter, an anonymous letter written by a parent, uh, said that the school had ignored her concerns. She alleged that students had learned, no, I went too far. The parents' school suffered from an extremely high drug culture. Student violence due to a high pressure environment, the letter said. The parent also reported bullying, safety issues, instances of sexual assault, and a recent bomb threat. Now keep in mind, 
If you watch the news, dumb people didn't go to a school in the neighborhood I grew up in. But you read this description and these are the, the very reasons why they don't want to come to schools where I grew up. Because there's a drug culture, student violence, bullying, safety issues, sexual assault on a campus, and a recent bomb threat. Where are the praying mothers for our children? And Lay went further and said, the parents said school officials ignored her concerns. The people that they are trusting the very children to take care of are ignoring their concerns. She alleged that students had learned to build a bomb in school. Students had smeared feces on the wall and were forced to clean it up with no gloves. That's some nasty stuff and accused the teacher of hitting a student. And he said in the, in the news report that one of the people who were targeted was a teacher. I wonder if that was the teacher they were targeting. And it's interesting that this tragedy happens and it becomes a political concern. One side is looking at this as, as tragic that there's a, a school shooting and we need gun control, but then it turns out that it wasn't an AR-15 this time, it was a handgun. So the news is not making a big deal about this school shooting because it doesn't back up the, the high-capacity assault weapons. This is just the regular old handguns that were used this time. So the news is not caring about it as much. But then the right takes it up because they're saying, hey, they're not focusing on this because it was a, uh, one of the uh, perpetrators was for, uh, transgender and an atheist. So now instead of still, nobody's worrying about the kids. They're worrying about the political agenda that we have a trans, uh, transgender atheist attacking children in school. And then you have other people where well, they weren't using an AR-15, so this doesn't fit my description or the, the, the plan or the vision that I have to fight gun violence and this is my I'm trying to pack, uh, put this out now because now they're attacking us but ain't nobody praying for the children behind every great person is a praying mother some of those kids had mothers praying for them because they were able to come home some of them had praying mothers because they will be able to emerge through this trauma unscathed. Yeah. And the ones who are dealing with the, the mess will eventually get past it. Right now it might be hard, but when the mother continues to pray in time, that wound will heal. Yeah. When we pray, we invite God into brokenness, the brokenness and the mess to work in our hearts of our children like only he can. We can't control our children's salvation. We can't control their obedience. We can't control their choices or the circumstances they find in. But what we can do is partner with God and ask him to move on our behalf. Lord knows my mother and father tried to do everything they could to do for me to keep me out of trouble. To keep me from making bad decisions. To keep me from doing anything that was going to create a problem for me later down the road. Some stuff I listened to, some stuff I didn't. Or as my mom said, we were talking, was it yesterday? When I walk out the door, they have no more control over me. None of us have any control over our children when they walk outside that door. And some of us don't even have control of our children inside our own homes. But when we pray, we're telling God, 
to do this. I'm partnering with you, God. I'm trusting you, God, to act on my behalf and set this kid some act right. Motherhood is messy. It is impossible to get through motherhood without getting dirty. God set this up from the beginning that motherhood was going to be a problem. We are broken and sinful people trying to lead broken and sinful children. It's a beautiful mess that we have created. But this beautiful mess will, should point us to Jesus. And that should pull us to our knees. And we, we see in Genesis 3, 16, God is telling Eve, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. He's telling from the very beginning, this is going to be a mess. This is going to be a messy situation. Eve, you done jacked it up for every woman coming behind you. They are, because of your disobedience, they are going to have multiple sorrows. And Lord knows mama's been their time crying. Good mothers will spend a lot of nights crying for their children. And I know it doesn't end when they turn 18. I don't know. You hear stories of mothers at 50, 60, 70, 80 years old still shedding tears for children. I will greatly multiply your sorrow. Lord have mercy. And like you know when you're going into this, it's going to be a battle. You know when you sign up, this ain't for the faint of heart. You can't be no punk and say you're going to be a mother. That, I mean, when you think about this, like, I ain't no punk. I'm ready for motherhood. I don't know if you think you're ready. It said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception. This is a battle from the very beginning. To be a mother. Uphill, that is exactly it. So, in our scripture, we got three of the, the main people. There, there are more people in this story, but we're looking at these three. Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina. Elkanah is the husband. Name means God has possessed. And he had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Hannah means grace, and Penina means jewel. And you think about what a lucky man that is, to be, have a name that says God has possessed grace and jewels. But isn't that something that uh, here he has grace on one hand, he's got jewels on the other hand, and it's almost like you can't have them both. It's a, I can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too because in verse 6 of the scripture it says, it's, they're talking about Hannah and Penina, uh, Hannah and referring to Penina as her rival, says, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable. This is what Penina had to deal with. It's, it's bad. I don't know why any guy would want more than one wife. <laughs> because while the word said you guys will have greatly your great your sorrow. Uh, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in conception. We I know as a man that dealing having more than one people uh, miserable woman. <laughs> one is enough, <laughs> but he got two, and it said that you see the dynamic of this family here that. Panina provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. The issue was that Panina had a bunch of kids, but Hannah was childless. And then we understand at that time and that, that society, 
women were second class citizens. And if you were a woman who didn't have children or couldn't have children, you were less than a woman. Because women were already less than, but a childless woman was less than a woman, which was already less than. And so we got Penina provoked her severely to make her miserable. If you can imagine living with somebody that is just provoking you constantly like a little brother, uh, you know, just always picking at you like I used to want to strangle my brother, uh, but provoked you severely to make her miserable. But these are grown folks. And Elkanah had to deal with this. And, and the part, other part of it in verse 5, it says, but to Hannah there at the temple, this given that they're offering a sacrifice, but to Hannah, Elkanah would give Hannah a double portion for he loved Hannah. That's something else. Now he got one woman who gave her a bunch of kids, a jewel, but the one that had grace is the one he loved. And again, you got two women that have multiple sorrows from childbirth, or that I will greatly multiply your sorrow, and then he loved the one that couldn't give her kids. And it says, although the Lord had closed her womb, even though she was less than a woman, according to them, he still loved her more than the woman who gave him children. And it was important for a man to have kids, because that said something about you. You can get the job done. But more importantly, you needed a boy to carry on the family name. You had to have a male child because without a male child, then the line stops. Then your daughters become part of somebody else's family. So you had to have a male child. And he said, but to Aunt Hannah, he would give a double portion. The childless wife he gave more to than the one that had several kids. And uh, uh, my buddy Paul Shepard, well, I call him my buddy, I only met him one time, but he, he, he kind of has a way of describing a similar situation in the Bible. But verse 19 and 20 says, Then he, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Uh, uh, Pastor Paul was talking about an issue with Abraham, but this is the same region of the, of the world. And he, you could just hear him talk about Hannah and Elkanah, that you know she couldn't have any kids, but they go to church again. They make the sacrifice and offering again. And in one evening, that warm Mediterranean breeze starts blowing across the land. Not too hot, just cool enough to make you feel comfortable. Probably had Luther playing in the background. And Elkanah got in the mood and it said he knew Hannah, his wife. Which is meaning he got busy. And as a result of that warm Mediterranean breeze blowing across the land, and Luther singing in the air, let me hold you tight. <laughs> Hannah conceived and bore a son. Now she's somebody. She got a child that she prayed for. And now El Elkanah can have his name carry on. But we understand these circumstances that Hannah was in. It's not ideal. She's constantly being aggravated by somebody in her life. She's got situations beyond her control that she can't handle because she's a woman. She should be able to get pregnant, right? 
I mean, it, when, how many women get pregnant by accident? She's trying and can't even get pregnant, but she prayed. And she got somebody in her life that's just constantly poking and prodding her, making her feel bad or less than because she can't do what these other people are doing. We can all relate to those situations where we're put down for whatever reason. Something's going on that we're not feeling as well as we should be. But God said in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he has made everything beautiful in its time. That's the key. Everything in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. We don't have any clue when God is going to move from the beginning to the end, but he has made everything beautiful in its time. That child you've been praying for, this disobedient, the granddaughter or the grandson, and you're trying to figure out when are they going to wake up? In its time. When is the relationship with my child going to get better? When are they going to open their eyes and see that they can't continue to live this life? In its time. But we have to keep praying. You have to keep trusting God. You got to keep pushing and going to the throne to make sure you understand because God says everything. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So the first point, the power of a praying mother is rooted in sincere faith. The power of a praying mother is rooted in sincere faith. Verse 5 and 7 uh, of this, this chapter says, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And verse seven, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, this is Penina, to Hannah. Therefore she wept and did not eat year after year. This is not again something she just prayed for today and stopped. She prayed as she had the faith to continue to trust God even though she couldn't see any result. Year after year. You think about this concept that you are praying year after year for the same thing, for the same person, for the same children. Year after year requires faith to keep pressing to God to do this. Praying mothers have sincere faith. And it's just not, you don't qualify as a praying mother because you said a prayer yesterday. You had to have been praying 40 years ago, 30, 20, 10, yesterday, and continue praying for the next 25 years for your kids. That is a praying mother that has power because it is rooted in the faith that will continue that even though I don't see this situation changing, I'm going to continue to pray. Proverbs 6, 4, the voice translation says, the eternal have made everything for a reason. Even wrongdoers fit his plans. The paninas in your life are there for a purpose. Everything has been made for a reason. Everything has been made for a reason. Even the wrongdoers. We're sitting here wondering, why is this happening to me? This fool that shot up that school? Even wrongdoers fit his plan. When that man went and shot up that mosque, when that dude dragged James Byrd behind that truck in Texas, when them police strangled, uh, 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 who, who did they strangle? Eric Garner, I can't breathe. 
as hard as it is to accept, because you know his mother was praying for him, even wrongdoers fit his plan. George Zimmerman, when he put that, that bullet in Trayvon Martin's head, you know his mother was praying for him. Even wrongdoers fit his plan. That's hard to swallow. And you know when uh, Hannah is sitting there with Panina and hearing all this constant putting her down and she's wondering, why are you not helping me, God? But remember, we saw that it said God remembered her. Even wrongdoers fit his plans. Second point, the power of a praying mother is rooted in praying through the pain. Boy, as a father, I know what it means to have pain uh, with your children. But Lord, I do not know what it means to actually carry somebody in you for almost a year. And if you nursed them, hold them at your breast for almost a year, however long you did it, uh, to, to feed them and provide life and nourishment for them, only to have them just act Fool. Praying mothers will pray through the pain, and we see uh, this quote by David Wilkerson Anguish means extreme pain or distress. Your emotions so stirred that it causes pain. You know, that, that feeling that you just, you just, nobody physically did anything to you, but you hurt because your emotions are so stirred. It's, a, it's an acute, deeply felt inner pain because of the conditions about you in you or around you. All true passion is born out of anguish. That's from David Wilkerson. Mothers, I pray mothers, understand that with my pain, through my anguish, we're going to continue to pray. We see that in verse 10, and it says, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to, uh, prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. She is praying to God, even with the tears in her eyes. And, and Wilkerson said, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. And some of us really believe, well, I don't know if I believe that, but I'm going to tell you, as long as I have been praying my entire life, the time that I truly prayed to God was when my back was against the wall. It worked every time. You see, I could sit around here and talk. I prayed to God when I had a job. And the money was just rolling in. When we first moved to Texas and I got my bonus and bought my brand new house, I'm feeling good. And I thank God, holy hands and hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But when I'm sitting in a position of facing unemployment and wondering what the future's going to hold, boy, that will send you to your knees like nobody else's business. When your children have gotten in trouble and you get that phone call from the police at the hospital or you're going to the hospital bed watching your child fighting for his life, nothing will send you to your knees faster than that. I know my parents have been on their knees and I've seen the stuff my brother has done and I've seen the condition he's been in and I've seen my mother at that hospital bed praying for that boy. Praying through the pain and the anguish, wondering, is this going to be the time that somebody's calling him home, or is he going to walk out of here alive? In verse 12 and 16, it says, as it happened, as she continued praying, continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And in verse 15, but Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. 
I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken unto now. This pain, she's dealing with this, and it said year after year, year after year, year after year. I'm going to say it again. Year after year. This ain't nothing new for the mothers. This is nothing new year after year to pray through the pain. And it says, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief. I have spoken. Praying mothers, pray through the pain. Last point. The power of a praying mother is rooted in sacrifice. Verse 11, it says, then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and forget your maidservant and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. She will raise this boy as a Nazarite. But she's saying, God, I'm in pain. I'm viewed less than. I'm constantly being attacked, constantly being belittled, constantly looked down upon. Don't forget me, God, and give me a child, but don't just give me a child. Give me a male child. But when you give me this child, if you give me what I'm asking you for, I'm going to give him right back to you. Not for six months, but for all the days of his life. He will be dedicated to serving you. I will sacrifice my son to give to you. Boy, how much sacrifice have you made as a mother today? And how much sacrifice are you going to give years from now for your children? I, I, it just it blows my mind. And here I am approaching 53 that my parents are still willing to sacrifice for me. Hmm? Oop, 53. They're still willing to sacrifice for me. That's what mothers do. In verse 27 and 28, she said, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my position, which petition which I asked of him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. The lent kind of seems like it's temporary. I'm going to lend you some money. But she said, as long as he lives, as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worship the Lord there. That was Hannah and Elkanah. They're at church. They're before Eli the prophet. And they said, after he dedicates his son, this boy, the sacrifice, the, the thing that I prayed for the most, I'm going to sacrifice to God. His life will be dedicated only to serving God. Are we willing to sacrifice what we've asked God for? Are we willing to give back to God everything that he has given to us? Praying with sincere faith. Praying through the pain. And praying willing to sacrifice what God has given this is, this is powerful when praying mothers pray.
pray for their children. And it's powerful for us when we pray for the things of the people that come into our lives and we pay, pray for the situations that keep us down. The, the abuse, the attacks. If we pray with sincere faith, we pray through the pain and we're willing to sacrifice to God, we can see God move like Hannah saw God move. But Hannah, when she prayed to God, I don't think she really knew the impact of her prayer. Like, I don't believe we realize the impact of our prayers. Her prayer was more than just having a son. It was more than just praying to be held in a different level in the family and society, to not be less than. What she prayed for produced a son, yes. But Samuel became a judge of Israel. He was a prophet to God, to the people. He was the one who anointed kings. He was a kingmaker. He was the one that anointed David. King of Israel. He anointed Saul, but he anointed David. And we know David is the one who Jesus' bloodline flows through. Her simple prayer wasn't just for her. Her prayer impacted thousands of generations. Thousands upon thousands of generations. And when you pray, you don't see the total impact of the prayer. What lives are going to be touched because you prayed for your child? Your child could end up like Samuel. Maybe it won't be your child, but because you prayed for your child, they produced an heir who produced an heir who produced an heir who became a king. Who discovers something that saves humanity from ourselves because we seem like we're heading on a collision course, ready to rip ourselves apart. But your prayers have lasting implications and they have power beyond what we can see. So you cannot stop praying no matter how dire the circumstances look. You cannot stop praying no matter how bad it looks with your family. You cannot stop praying even when your kids continue to do what it is they want to do. Because if you give up, you could be taking somebody's life away from them it goes beyond us and Hannah's prayer was beyond her her status elevated but because of her we have salvation her simple prayer that was rooted in pain rooted in faith and rooted in sacrifice ultimately gave us Jesus Christ So don't give up praying. Don't quit. Keep pushing. And we'll see the power of a praying mother. Amen? Amen. Amen.